Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about a world-changing approach to fighting poverty. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, James Belt. James is the owner and president of Belt Enterprises, Inc., the author of Hope Realized, and a church leader and missionary who served in Nicaragua for three years, where he witnessed the realities of poverty firsthand. You can reach James at his website, jameshbelt.com, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Welcome, James. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Thanks, Linda. I'm so excited to be here. I love this topic. I love being able to help people in such a tangible way. I mean, with answers like what you're going to talk about today, you could totally win the Miss America Project, you know, the pageant. (laughs) It's like, I want world peace and I want to end poverty. So, um... So that's what we're going to talk about today. So first, can I hear about your experiences in Nicaragua? What, why did you go there? What, what were you, what was your intent and what did you find out when you got there? Sure. That would be great. Yeah. So, um, I was kind of the reluctant missionary, if that makes sense. I, uh, grew up in a family business, went to college, actually went into financial planning after college and my church, uh, that I go to here in Westminster, Maryland, started going to Nicaragua through an organization called Orphan Network. And we started visiting an orphanage in this small community called El Cañon, which means the canyon in, uh, in English. And uh, my parents and my sister went, and I decided I was going to stay home, and I'd be the guy that would just send the check, you know, like I'd help that way. <laughs> so unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess now I would see it, uh, they started to coax me into going on the, the next summer trip. So in 2007, I decided... Okay, I'll go down. And that started a journey that went along with my my parents adopting a girl from Nicaragua. So I have a 15-year-old, well, she's not 15 now. She was 15 at the time, uh, your old sister from the orphanage that we were visiting, Puente de Amistad. Uh, and during that time in particular, I, based on my kind of my economic economics background, finance background, I really started to ask questions about why does poverty exist? You know, I started to put a face with a name to poverty. So instead of it just being this idea or this, you know, Catholic charities commercial where you see a kid that's poor and it makes you feel bad, it was Maria Jose, Josue, uh, you know, these different names of people. And I started to realize, well, they're just as, um, just as capable, just as talented, just as smart as I am. What, what's really going on here? Why are they stuck in this position? And, so I started to explore a little bit more. I talk a little bit about, in, in my book, Hope Realized, about this trip I took to a coffee farm, and I thought I could solve all their problems, and I found out it was a little harder than I thought. But uh, a couple years later, in 2011, I was down there on another mission trip with uh, with my church, and I took a couple of extra days, and I was on a hike with some of the kids from the Puente de Amistad Orphanage, and El Cañon, uh, it's a canyon, so... I'm trying to, to give you a little picture, Nicaragua is known as the land of lake and, lakes and volcanoes. So there's a lot of a lot of mountainous kind of areas as well as obviously flatlands. But the canyon is on the way up this really large hill or mountain just south of Managua, the capital city. And if you were to go up on the right side, you see a little painted white wall and it kind of falls off from there down a cliff. And, you know, for the normal person, even the normal Nicaraguan, many times you'd assume nobody lives there until you entered it. And it's uh, it's this small impoverished community in this canyon, and on the other side, because it, it, it's a canyon, you know, there's a or, or a valley maybe. There's this other hill, and so we had hiked up this other hill, and you could see the road, and you could kind of see over all of El Cañon. And while I was standing on top of this hill with these 
these kids from the orphanage, I heard this, what's as close as I've experienced to, to the voice of God, you know, inaudibly, but in my mind, where are you going? And my first thought was, well, I'm going to jump on an airplane and go back to my comfortable life in the United States. And so, uh, but I started to explore that more, you know, became curious about well, what what is that all about? And as I did that, I connected with a friend that uh, that had an organization called Nika Works that was doing community and economic development, and decided, well, I guess uh, I guess I'm supposed to move there. So I ended up moving to Nicaragua, uh, as you said, for three three years living there, doing community and economic development with Nika Works. I still work with them today, actually, quite a bit, uh, and we're we're doing a lot of stuff and really addressing poverty through both practical and spiritual hope, and so. That is, that's kind of the journey. I was the reluctant missionary who got there and uh, realized I could actually use some of my skills that I learned growing up in a business and, and doing financial planning and, and what I was doing. So I love that. And that was something that I was thinking of as well, is that you had just the right background to be able to make a difference. And so I would love to kind of explore a little bit about, you, you walked in and questions of why why, when you're just as smart and you're just as capable, why is this a situation? And then to be able to jump in and say, I will solve all your problems. And it was more complicated than you thought. And mm-hmm. so now you feel like you really do have the solution. So what made the difference from, I think I know what to do because I've got this background. I'm here, I'm stepping in and it didn't work. And yeah. then all of a sudden now you feel like, wait, 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 I have the missing link. So, so can you walk me through that process of why it's different now? Why do we trust you that now you really do have the answer? <laughs> yeah. So when I was there in 2009 and I went out to this coffee farm out kind of in the middle of the country, you know, I didn't have a, I hadn't, I'd been going for, I guess, you know, a couple of years, but just sparingly. And I kind of made the accidental promise of, Hey, I can get your coffee into Starbucks. And that was way more complicated. And that, that, yeah, that, that whole process, if you read, I talk about it, like I said, it's, it's quite Quite complicated, apparently, to get your coffee beans into Starbucks. But that forced me to take a step back as I really jumped in more as I moved there and, and say, basically, I'm not going to go with my agenda. You know, I go with my gifts. I go with my experiences. But I'm going to take time to learn. And having uh, having grown up on the East Coast of the United States, that wasn't like how I'm wired. I'm more of a jump in and get it done kind of guy, which honestly was pretty hard for me. Uh, initially, but I did. I, I took some time. I tried to learn. I was learning Spanish, which I thought I knew before I came and didn't really know when I got there. Uh, so I was doing all of that. And as I started to learn and I asked those, those questions you presented, you know, why are these people uh, stuck in poverty, despite the fact that they seem to be just as capable as I am? I started to realize that there was something much deeper than the byproducts we often see when it comes to poverty. So we think of hunger, we think of unemployment, you know, lack of health care, all of these things, but it's much like an iceberg. So if you're familiar with, with an iceberg, about 90% of the iceberg is below the surface. It's only the 10% we see. And the byproducts of poverty and poverty, the root of it, are, are very similar. We see these byproducts, but deep below the surface, what I came to came to term or realize is this idea that it's hopelessness, ultimately, that feeds, that that's the root of poverty. And I talk about it both in a practical and spiritual sense. So a lack of a real opportunity, that's practical, practical hopelessness, uh, you know, that everything around you kind of reinforces this, this picture that there's, there's nothing I can do about my situation. 
And then the uh, the lack of a, of a clear identity or, or maybe a marred identity where you believe you're created for less than and that, um, you know, everything kind of in your life says, you know, you you can't move on from here. You know, this is this is your destiny in life. And so that spiritual hopelessness and practical hopelessness kind of reinforces and then feeds those byproducts that we often see. And it becomes a bit of a cycle. And I started to realize and see that happening as we worked. And and obviously the inverse of that is to then address what uh, that hopelessness is through practical and spiritual hope. So a real opportunity that then is, uh, you know, I, I say that's the fuel and a uh, reframed identity, which I say is kind of the spark that allows the engine of, of all in hope of change to actually happen. And so that, uh, that was kind of that, that picture I started to, to understand and how we started to look at how to address poverty in Nicaragua, but not just there, really, uh, anywhere poverty rears its head. So. Right. Because like you mentioned with your iceberg analysis, the underlying causes are going to be universal where yes. that, that lack of, of, of hope in a practical aspect and the lack of hope. And I loved it that you put your identity under this spiritual hope and application. So I'm, I'm curious. I would like to know, did you have a chance to apply this model of, of hope into Nicaragua and see its success? Do you have any? Examples where somebody realized, hey, wait a minute, I was not designed for a life of poverty and I'm just as smart as James and I can do this too or anything like that. Yeah, I have, a, I have quite a few different different examples. And I, I talk about some of them both in the United States and in Nicaragua in, in Hope Realized. But I can think of one in, in particular since I mentioned Al Canyon. Uh, there's a woman named Sophia and Sophia was someone that joined a community gardening project that we had had started. So a way for people to basically, you know, create their own food as well as potentially sell some of that food if they create enough. And she joined and she was kind of an unsuspect, you know, you wouldn't have thought, hey, this is the person that's going to really grab onto this. And so uh, she went through that. And then we kind of saw, well, actually, she does have, she kind of does have some, uh, some desire to potentially see change. And she was connected with the church we were, we were working with. And so we decided, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to get behind Sophia. She came to us and said, Hey, can you help me start a bean project and grow, uh, grow beans? I have some access to some property. Can you get me, help get me started? And at the same time, again, people were, were reinforcing or reinvesting in her life, you know, and giving her a clear picture of she's, she wasn't created for that kind of life that she didn't have to live in El Canyon. To give you a, a small background, she lived in a plastic wrapped house when we met her. Uh, she was kind of a squatter in this community in a plastic wrapped house. And so, you know, there was nothing, it, it was very clearly a poverty situation where there was no, you know, Hey, this is going to be an easy, easy fix. But she, because she didn't no longer saw herself as destined for poverty, she was able to take advantage of the practical resources, the practical hope we were able to, to give to her. And she had a very successful bean crop and then started to reinvest it. And now she's continued to do that. And uh, she has chickens now and she's continued with the beans and she continues to kind of grow that that small business. And now she's able to provide some sustainability to her family uh, because of that. And so the way I just uh, I didn't make this completely clear when I talk about spiritual hope or or a reframed identity. I basically my my definition of that is that people understand they're created by a God who loves them on purpose and for a purpose. And so that's kind of what we see 
in Sofia, and then I talk about a guy named Oscar, a similar story, and and some different stories like that in the book where we've seen that that start to take place. It's not an easy or slow process. Uh, this kind of change is messy, but I think real change often is. I agree. And I loved your uh, kind of visual analogy that you gave earlier about a spark and about fuel mm. and having that get started. And I love, I, I just imagine the satisfaction and joy of seeing their success just brings so yeah. much joy and knowing that it's, you know, you've heard the analogy, of course, where you give a man a fish or you teach a man to fish, where you have given them the skill set and that identity to be able to continue the success. I loved mm-hmm. earlier when you talked about when you went down to Nicaragua and you brought your skills and how we also subconsciously or unconsciously, whatever, come with an agenda of how mm-hmm. we're going to do things and letting that go. The idea of helping with these practical matters and helping with the spiritual matters, I mean, a lot of people come hoping to give those tools that people need through maybe missionary work or maybe through charities, and it, it doesn't seem to have the effect. You're, you're, you suggest that those things in itself are not enough. Can you? Is it because it really needs to come from that inside out rather from the outside in, or what's the distinction? Yeah, I think it it varies, I would say. So part of the issue I think often is that we're only addressing one side of that of that hope problem. And so um or we're addressing it in a way that's not super helpful. And there's another really good book called When Helping Hurts that talks about kind of short-term mission work and mission work and how to do mission work without causing more of a problem. And so on occasions we bring on occasion we bring practical hope or what we think is practical hope down. And it's really, we're addressing a development issue with a, uh, a solution that's really meant for a, an acute problem, you know, like, Hey, there was a hurricane and people need food or they need shelter. And we're coming into a situation where there's not an acute problem that there's just poverty that has existed. And we're like, Hey, here's a bunch of food or here's a bunch of clothes. And that's not really what they need. They need assistance in, in development. They, they have, or, they can figure out some of those practical, basic practical needs, uh, or they can get them themselves if we, if we help. So sometimes that's the problem. But oftentimes what I see is that, um, maybe we do a really good job of bringing practical hope, but, and this is, you can aid projects all over the world. You can see this and it's very clear. We bring resources, but we never actually address the need for a reframed identity. So people have the resources they need. Um, and I, I talk about this, uh, a story in, of a community called Avianas, Nicaragua, where we brought, um, you know, resources to start a community garden and, but the people could never see themselves differently. There wasn't a, a sense of spiritual hope in that particular situation. And because of that, they could never see themselves as created for more than what they currently uh, lived in. So it, it led to a lot of short-term thinking, um, a lot of resources that were misapplied and not taken advantage of. And I, have to say, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, gosh, why would they do that? You know, that's, that's horrible, but you have to put yourself in their shoes. And if you saw yourself as created for less than, and that, you know, tomorrow isn't a guarantee, uh, then you might make the same choices. And so oftentimes we'll, we won't address either that spiritual issue, or maybe we come in and we do a vacation Bible school somewhere and the people are like, oh, this was awesome. You know, you, you gave us some spiritual hope and, then we leave as missionaries and the people don't have the resources they need to kind of take what we said. Okay. God loves you. God created you for more. And they're like, that's awesome. And they, and that is awesome. 
but then they don't have the resources to kind of take full advantage of of that potential inside them. And so it's kind of like coming in and then we say maybe like, oh, well, we're going to pray for you, which is great. I have no, you know, I'm, I'm all for prayer. But it's kind of like if someone had a broken arm and uh, and they came to you and they say, hey, I have a broken arm. And you're like holding a cast and everything they need. And you're like, I'm, I'll pray for you. you know? <laughs> and they're like, but what about the cast and everything else you have in your hand? You could actually fix my arm, you know, and it's uh, and pray for me, maybe. But, you know, so that's kind of how I see it is oftentimes we don't address both both sides of the problem and. Uh, bring all in hope, as I call it, which I think is what really creates change. All in um, hope. Do you want to all in hope? So both both practical and spiritual. So it's all in. It's everything, you know. And again, kind of a redefined image of hope, because oftentimes sometimes we think of hope as like wishy washy, or I hope I pass the test, or I hope my team wins. But this is a foundational kind of hope, um, based on, like I said, both the practical and the spiritual, uh, and based on a, a belief that God created us on purpose. And for a purpose. On purpose and for a purpose. I love that when it can be explained succinctly. Hmm. And so now as we're talking about this this hope, which seems like an ethereal kind of a thing, I would love some practical application. How do we do it? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, there's kind of five, four or five steps that I often tell people that really I walk through. When I started to, and I, it was kind of in reflection. I don't know that I did them intentionally at the time, but in reflection of my journey. So I best, the best place to start or a great place to start at the very least is to be curious. So when I say be curious, be curious about poverty. Why does poverty exist? You know, maybe in your community even. Why is poverty there? Why uh, are people in this situation? Be curious about your belief about people in poverty. So what do I actually think about them? Do I really believe that something can change in their life? Oftentimes, I'll say that uh, how we perceive people will impact how we treat them. So if we perceive them as hopeless, even subconsciously, maybe we might treat them that way and not address things in a way that says, well, that person can actually move forward. So get curious uh, why, you know, why poverty exists and then uh, look at what you bring to the table. So Again, when I first went to Nicaragua, we visited an orphanage and I was, you know, wondering kind of, well, um, this is great. You know, I, I've worked with kids in the past. This is awesome. But I don't know what my specific skill set of financial advising and business brings to the table. But as I started to understand poverty more and what I could do, I saw, no, I have something to offer. So I believe we all have something unique to offer um, that we can make a difference. We just kind of have to look at it and say, OK, well, you know, given how my understanding of poverty, what do I have to bring? You know, I, we had somebody that had carpentry skills and they were actually able to secure some carpentry equipment and help us start a carpentry vocational training program. We have people that are more skilled in encouraging people spiritually and we've had people take that approach. So what do you bring to the table? Uh, then I say oftentimes it's good to get connected. So find an organization or a person that's doing something well, whether that's in practical hope, spiritual hope or both and figure out if there's a way you can use what you bring to the table to benefit them. Um, and we don't have to do all of it. In fact, we shouldn't. We should all work together. And that's another challenge is getting everybody to work together. But, um, you know, get connected to someone that's doing it well. And then take a step. And uh, that, uh, if you look at my journey, that's what happened. So, I, you know, I finally got coaxed into going, right? And then I went, kept going down more. And then I started asking questions. I went to a coffee farm and made some mistakes, whatever. I took a step. And kind of led me to here and moving to Nicaragua and writing a book. It didn't start there. It took with one, it started with one step. 
So I say, you know, take a step, whether that's you know, reading a book like Hope Realized, whether that's um, getting connected in some way, getting curious, just take that initial step. And oftentimes that will lead you to the next step uh, and you can start to make a difference. So I know that, uh, you know, th- those are some specific steps. doesn't give you, okay, this is exactly what you should do, but it's different for all of us. And I think if you walk through that process, you'll find that you have something to offer when it comes to practical and spiritual hope. I love that. And I'm just thinking about some of the things that you mentioned that are so beautiful. Uh, When you talk about that, uh, first about having the hope and that spiritual hope and having that identity, and as someone who's in a role of trying to help lift someone else up, that we also need to be having our eyes looking at someone as though they have potential and that they have power to make a change. I think a lot of times when people who want to do good view those that they're trying to help as helpless, and I need to take care of you, I need to fix you, I need to whatever, and how empowering it is to look at people with a different point of view as capable, someone who has the ability to make, uh, otherwise you're, you're adding to their hopelessness by saying, yeah, you're right. You really can't do anything. That's, that's actually why I'm here. Cause I got to fix you and I got to help you and I got to feed you because you don't know how to do it by yourself. Yeah. And, and just that, that one little thought just sparked my brain of thinking, wow, our attitude makes such a difference in the way that we show up. And anytime we're trying to help someone where you, you say, hey, I'm here to teach whatever skill, and I believe that you have what it takes to be able to do something with this. So I love that. And I loved your example when you're talking about what we bring to the table, that we don't all have to be financial geniuses like James. We can come with our carpenter skills or we can come with whatever set of skills that we have and there's going to be a place for it to fit. And if we don't know what the place is, then we can hopefully pay attention to that spark of inspiration that comes. It's like, oh, well, I can do this. Uh, Maybe that can help over here. And I, I love that, that everyone has something that they can bring. And by working together and bringing those skills together just makes such a difference. I love that. So I have a question. When you're talking about Hope Realized, is your intended audience for those who are trying to give assistance or for those who are receiving assistance or for both? It could be a little of both. I mean, you know, the target, if you say target audience, it would be probably those who are, who are giving assistance or maybe that are wondering, gosh, do I really have something to offer? Maybe they've been on a mission trip or they just watch TV and they're like, this world seems very hopeless. You know, <laughs> I wish I could do something and make a difference. And my hope is that as we reframe hope and poverty, that we start to see the hope that is inside of people that are living in poverty. You know, that's what one big change that happened for me through this whole process was that I started to see people as hope filled. You know, even though their situation didn't look like that at the time, even if maybe they didn't believe it about themselves, that I started to see them as hope filled and just needing uh, an infusion of practical and spiritual hope to move from where they are to where they can be. And so in some senses, it's kind of for them, too, you know, because my hope is that as you read this book, Hope Realize, that you will start to see more hope in, in the people that you maybe potentially want to serve and you'll treat them 
uh, differently. And, you know, if we do that, obviously they'll be filled with, with more hope. And it's almost a reciprocal relationship, in my opinion. You know, when, when we're bringing hope to others and they're more hope-filled, we're going to be more hope-filled too. And I think that's one thing I think we often miss. And we're like, well, they're, the people in poverty, they're just, you know, I don't really have to where I can put my blinders on and it won't affect my life. And that's just so far from the truth. Uh, we're all so connected, you know, and I think this sense of hopelessness sometimes we feel is all the brokenness we see around us. And so if we believe they're hopeless, you know, that's going to feed our own hopelessness. And when we take a step back and say, no, I think they're full of hope. Um, they just might need an opportunity or they might need a reframed identity or whatever, or, or both. And maybe I have something to offer to the, to the, to the puzzle that we can, you know, find hope there for ourselves. And I think we can build a much hope, more hope filled world. I love that and how it creates such a win-win situation because I talk to a lot of people who are trying to help lift and serve others because there is so much hopelessness out there and feelings of fear and just bleh. And so to be able to say, wow, when you instill hope in other people, it also fills you with more hope. I mean, what a beautiful win-win type of situation. And I was also thinking here, we're talking about specifically poverty, Mm -hmm. but the, uh, the principles that you're suggesting of the way that we see people and the way that we interact with people as someone who has this beautiful identity and that they have a purpose is, is going to affect a, a relationship where if I'm, if I'm just talking to James and I think, well, James is a loser. So, you know, whatever. But if, if I'm thinking, no, he is awesome. And look at all of this potential. And when we're speaking that way with our spouse or with our children or with people at work or potential clients, anyone that we're working with, when we kind of give them that infusion of, of hope and mm-hmm. identity and purpose and value and worth, which is really what you're, you're doing, then yeah. all of a sudden it's like you've, you haven't just lifted yourself. You, you've lifted everyone. Like that mm-hmm. saying, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. I totally agree. And, uh, yeah, I think we can all gain a lot more hope if we, and I think honestly, I think we're wired that way. I think we feel so good about it because that's the way we were created. You know, we were created to bring hope to other people. And when we, when we start to do that, it, there's something inside of us that gets released. And so I just think that, you know, uh, that's the way to go. (laughs) Even selfishly. No, you know, that's okay. Because I think a win-win, if you want to call it selfish, whatever, it's a win-win. But as you talk about this spiritual boost and how we're wired, and it's so cool that even science research suggests that, yeah, if you want to feel good, you serve others. And it helps Mm -hmm. to stimulate those chemicals in our brain that help us to feel good. And so you're helping somebody else. You're helping yourself. You got this win-win thing going on. I love it. Is there anything yeah. else that you want to make sure that we cover before we close today? Just that yeah, I think it's really important that we start to look at hope, hope differently because I, you know, I think sometimes we get this picture, this uh, you know, I hope, I wish, wishy-washy kind of feel, and that we start to look at poverty differently. And I think if we do that, we can really start to to make a different world and. Um, if you check out Hope Realized, you know, that might be a good place to give you a different picture of those things. And so, and if not, I just hope that you uh, will start to see things differently when it comes to hope and poverty. Because I think um, the answer is there, just a question of will we take advantage of it? 
And it? I didn't come up with it, you know. <laughs> I'm just observing it. So, it's um, so I'm not, this is not crazy. a unique idea. Or, to to yeah. make the whole world a better place, where we have to start is inside of us. The way that we think, the way that we feel, and then things begin to, answers begin to flow. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank awesome. you so thank much you. for visiting with me today. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Linda. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Michelle Obama. She said, you may not always have a comfortable life, and you will not always be able to solve all of the world's problems at once, but don't ever underestimate the importance you can have. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own. Today, I invite you to help solve the problem of global poverty by sharing hope and taking action. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.